Lord, help us remember this morning that uh, you are not only Lord of our lives, but you are Lord over all creation. And, and above every earthly king is your kingship. And above every earthly judge is your judgeship. And so, Lord, as you reign over all the heavens and the earth, Lord, may we be reminded that you also reign in our hearts. You reign in our lives. May we live each day, each breath, in recognition of your lordship. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, church. All right, that's a good, good morning. Y'all are awake after all those signs. Now, I have to tell you what I told the first service. And that is, um, during no time, this is a public service announcement, at no time during this message will there be any dance motions or um, some signs. Not because I have any theological problems with that. Um, I, have, I have problems with bad dancing, not dancing in church. But, uh, but uh, you, I, I like you too much to subject you to that. So we're going to be in Daniel in the Old Testament, chapter 6. We'll get to work there in just a moment. And uh, great to be back with you. This is indeed a friendship that I've had with your staff, your pastor, for a long time. And it's uh, blessed my heart and my life in many ways, and my ministry in many ways. So grateful for to be back here and to be here so he can be away and take care of some things. So uh, good to be with you. Now, um, Daniel's one of these uh, characters in the Old Testament. If you grew up in church, you probably heard some of these fantastic tales of, you know, the, he has this sleepover with the lions, right? That's the, that's the veggie tale version that we're kind of familiar with. And, and you know, they, they do a good job teaching it at a children's level. But really, when you learn this story and you learn what's happening in the life of Daniel, there's a lot more for us. So one of the dangers, I think, is we kind of turn Daniel into this mythological figure of the Old Testament, kind of like a King Arthur of the Bible or something. And, and we've got to remember that he was a real historical person that lived in a real historical time and had ups and downs and, and all of those kind of things that you and I have. In fact, uh, I found this picture. Um, uh, it's in the art gallery in the mall in the Smithsonian in, that, in uh, Washington, D.C. And my wife and I were visiting there, I don't know, a year or so ago. And we found this. This is a, a Renaissance painting from the 1600s, a Rubens. Uh, I'm not much of an art critic. But there's one thing. I, I think on the good side that Rubens captures the, the emotion of the moment, of the... You know, Daniel's looking up and there's these, you know, lions who probably should be tearing them apart, but they seem pretty friendly. I'm, I'm not petting them, but, but they seem pretty friendly. But, but here's the thing. When you look back at that picture, Daniel looks like he's in his 20s or something, right? I mean, historically, scholars know that just chronologically through his life, Daniel was likely in his 80s when the story that we're going to talk about happened, Right? All of these things that happened in his life before with the Babylonians and now Darius and the Persians are on the scene. And uh, so Daniel is like 80. Darius is like in his 60s. So you have this 80-year-old who's a statesman and giving counsel to this king who's in his 60s. So this is a story about two senior citizens, okay? And they both have their AARP cards and, and that sort of thing. But my point is Daniel isn't this young guy. And, and here's why it's important to know that. Because at this point in his life, you're going to see how he has built just the habits and the rhythms and the disciplines of a life that has been lived for God. And uh, the, just a long arc of obedience and a Godward life that he has cultivated 
through, through just putting these habits and rhythms into his life. And we're going to see evidence of that. He's not a young man anymore. He's somebody that you can really learn from and, and really uh, kind of pattern your life after. Years ago, uh, Camille and I knew a gentleman in our church in Jacksonville. His name was Bob Whitty. And Dr. Whitty had done many things in his life. He lived to be 100 years of age. That's an accomplishment right there. And he founded a seminary. If you've ever heard of Luther Rice Seminary, uh, Bob Whitty founded that seminary. He, he also taught the senior men's Bible study class in our church. And we knew him for many, many years. And he was one of these guys that even in his 90s when I knew him, he was always on the cutting edge. His mind was just sharp. And uh, back in the 1990s, he actually had a website and knew how many hits he had on his website and had written books and pastored churches and all of these things. And so when he turned 100, we had Dr. Witty Day in our church. And I, hey, if you live to be 100, you should get a day, okay? You should get like a moment that we just, you know. And they had letters from the president and the governor, and they had the dignitaries from the seminary, and all these pastors and, and leaders from around the country had sent in videos and all these wonderful things. He hated that we, we made much of him. But at the end of that, we did what good Baptists do. and We went to the fellowship hall and ate casseroles and fried chicken and then had a cake brought out for Dr. Whitty and we sang happy birthday. I mean, how many times do you get in your life do you get to sing happy birthday for somebody who's lived to be 100, you know? And even though he, his voice was quiet, he could still, you know, speak in a great clarity of mind. And so when we sang happy birthday, he said, speech, we want to, you know, what, what wisdom would you have to share with us? Pastored churches for over 80 years by the end of his life. And just an amazing, amazing life. And he said, you know, um, I think the meaning of life for me has come down to these three points. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. After a hundred years of living, that's what had kind of come into focus for him. And can I tell you, even on some of my better days, I don't know that my life is that clear and focused, but you don't get there overnight. You, you get there with a life of cultivating the spiritual disciplines and godliness and just letting Jesus saturate your soul. And Dr. Whitty had done it. Well, Daniel had done that. And so it's important that we, we realize that he's not a, a young, nothing wrong with, with youth. But there's something about the, that generation, right, who've been living for the Lord. I, I'm in my mid-rushes now, and I think you can guess. It's, not real, real, it's pretty hard to hide at this point. And I'm starting to listen a lot more to that generation ahead of me, those, particularly the, the, the men in my life that are in like their 70s and 80s. I've got three that come to my mind right off, four that come to my mind right off the bat. And they all impact me in some different ways. But there's one guy named Walter. Walter's incredible. He's kind of like a Dr. Whitty. He's done all these amazing things, planted churches and all this. And uh, he's 84 or 5 years old now. And uh, Walter, is, um, he likes to come up and put his arm around me and go, okay, bub, now just remember, you know, you're, you're, in this, you're in the third quarter, but you can only win the game in the fourth quarter. And what he's encouraging me to do is don't quit. Keep in the game. Keep going. Keep pressing. This is, you're not over. And I just, I get a lot of wisdom 
from those people that I want to pattern my life after. Well, I think we have a biblical example of one of those people with Daniel. So as we we look at this story and the curtain pulls back, Darius is setting up his administration and he's put 120 uh, satraps or like governors or mayors over these geographic regions. And then he's put three vice presidents, if you will, these high-ranking administrators who oversee the overseers. Okay, so like, you know, it's kind of a bureaucracy, but and the whole idea, it's all based on money, by the way, okay? They collect taxes, and guess where those taxes go? Upline, and they get a cut, and so forth. Well, Daniel is one of these very prized, important positions of one of the vice presidents that oversees a number of these regional mayors or rulers. And have you ever noticed in life, the more you kind of progress and succeed, your friends multiply, but so do your enemies, And that's what was happening to Daniel. And so there rose a number of these regional satraps or or mayors who wanted to trip him up. Jealousy, right? Here's Daniel, this outsider, foreigner, and, you know, he's going to be overseeing them. And so they they wanted to do this. That's where we pick up the story in chapter, excuse me, chapter 6, verse 4. And the first thing I want you to see here is that Daniel had consistent integrity. Now, I'm just a simple preacher. I'm going to give you like three or four points. We're going to go beat the Methodist to lunch, so don't worry about it. Um, So the first thing we're going to see, verse 4, take a look with me. It says, so the governors and satraps sought to find some danger, excuse me, some change, charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. What a life testimony. Wouldn't you want it to be said of you, even by people who don't like you? Man, if you want to trip that person up, it's going to be hard because there's no lack of integrity. The the way they handle their relationships, the way they handle their finances, the way they, they handle anything that's been given to them, they, they deal with integrity. That was the reputation at this point in his life that Daniel had. And by the way, you know, that, that's another indication of just the long life and reputation that Daniel had. They knew that if there was only one way to trip him up, it was going to be because he was faithful to the Lord. Wouldn't you like that to be said of you? Hey, this person, there's no way. They've got nothing hiding in the bushes. There's nothing that's, you know, kind of a, a hidden thing. They've, they've lived their life open, and you can see their life. They're transparent, and, and there's nothing. You can scroll through their feed on social media, and you're not going to find anything to cancel them. And they looked, and they couldn't find anything against Daniel, except they saw on his social media, they saw a lot of posts about Jehovah, the one we were just singing about. There's no God like Jehovah. I didn't tell you I wouldn't sing. I just said I wasn't going to dance. So they knew he was faithful to the Lord, but none of, none of nothing else. And believe me, if there was something, they would have used it against him, right? There are probably people out there in our lives today that you give them something to use, they'll use it. But here's the thing. Daniel wasn't trying to impress them. He just knew he had needed to live a life of integrity. Now, I heard a preacher one time define integrity this way. He said, integrity is when the tongue in your shoe matches the tongue in your mouth. That my walk aligns with my talk. 
what I profess and what I say is where I go. That's what integrity means. Well, Daniel had this apparently. So they knew they couldn't trip him up in any other way. So they, they wanted to get him in trouble. So they went to Darius. They knew one way they could do it. So they had the king establish a law that no one could pray to any other god but the king for 30 days. Aha, they said, we got him. So they put this law in place. And you've heard about the law of the Medes and Persians. Once you put this law in place, it cannot be broken. Because they knew Daniel was authentic. And Daniel was authentic and real because he had cultivated that authenticity into his life. Now, a little bit about our story. Camille and I were both at one time in our life uh, bankers. And don't hold that against us. Uh, but we worked for commercial banks. And we actually both have been through teller training. Where You remember when you could go walk into a bank and talk to a live human? Remember those days? Yeah, uh, we were some of those people. And so we, you go through training to learn how to cash checks and you know, smile and be nice and all those sorts of things. And, and, uh, and so one of the days in training I was looking forward to is when the Treasury Department comes in and they teach you about counterfeits. Because one of the main ways that you spot a counterfeit is through banks. I mean, we handle lots of, of currency, a lot of cash. And so one of the main defenses against the counterfeits is what's you know, happening in the banks. And so they would come in, and I thought, oh, well, they're going to come in and teach us all about the tricks and the, the sneaky things that these counterfeiters do. We're going to learn all the tricks of the trade. And they did a little bit of that. But about 90% of the training was showing us and teaching us about real authentic currency. What are the denominations? What are the, the different seals and things? What is the little blue and red threads that are in the, the fabric of the paper? The most um, main way that you can tell if a currency is fake or not is how it feels. It's easy to copy the image. It's really hard for them to, to fake the feel. And so they teach you all of these tricks because here's, here's the, the learning for us. If you want to be able to spot a phony, learn the truth. The more you know what is real and true, the more you'll be able to look at something and go, uh, something's not right about that. And the Treasury Department's counting on it, <laughs> that we'll be able to spot that. And, and by the way, they teach you the, the, the faces on there. If somebody hands you a $1 bill, and it's got Ben Franklin's face on it, or they hand you a $100 bill, rather, and it's got George Washington's face on it, that's a fake, right? Because they teach you what face goes with each currency, and there's this little acronym of watch Jeff leap his jumping green frog. That works really good here in this church, too, by the way. Um, and that's all the fake, like Washington, Jeff, all that. Yeah. So you, you learn to spot the phony by being very familiar with what's true. Daniel knew this, and they knew that the, this was the only way they could trip him up. He was true to his God, and it showed to everyone else. So, he lived a life of integrity before others, and there was a world that was watching him, friends. There is a world that is watching us. What do they see when they see God's people? the way we conduct business, the way we live our lives, the way we are, both in terms of the decisions we make, the countenance we have, the way in which we interact with people, esteem others. Uh, it matters. 
And I'm not talking about just being nice for Jesus. You know, I'm, I'm talking about letting the Spirit of God saturate your life in such a way that it just shines through. It just shines through. So that's the first thing, to have integrity that is consistent. The second thing, and we'll look down in verse 10, is that Daniel had a commitment to prayer. I mean, not just prayer, but like prayer. You know, what I've learned in my life of walking with the Lord is that there are times when, you know, I'm involved with prayer, and then there's times when I have prayer. You see the difference? I mean, yeah. And, and Daniel had this long life committed to deep devotion of, to the Lord in prayer. Look at verse 10. It says, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, that the law had been passed, he went home, and in his upper room and in the windows, he's, with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. I love that phrase, the way it, this translation says, since the early days. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he's been doing it a while. So there's a lot in here. In fact, I think we could do a whole message series on prayer just from verse 10 because there's a lot of qualities about our prayer life. But here, here's just some things. Daniel was faced with a dilemma in this moment. He could have said, you know, God knows I love him. I've been serving and praying him all of these years and decades of my life. I can take a 30-day break just to kind of get along with the brethren, right? I mean, we can just to have some peace here, you know, but that's not what he did. It says that he went to his home and he prayed. So let's, let's kind of open this up a little bit uh, just for a moment and, and just unpack a little bit of, of this prayer uh, practice that Daniel has. First, it says he went to his home, into his house, because See, for Daniel, prayer was personal. It starts at home. You know, you, you've heard it say, you know, don't try it out there unless you first practice it at home. It's got to make sense. It's got to emanate from your personal life. It was a personal matter for him. But it wasn't necessarily private. He, did you notice he had the windows open? Now, that was their practice to open the, their windows towards Jerusalem and face that direction as exiles, those who had been taken off away from, uh, from Israel. So he's facing Jerusalem, but the windows are open. You know, it re reminds me of Matthew five sixteen, where it says, let your sh light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, it doesn't say shine your light in their face, <laughs> right? But it does say, just be, be yourself, be who you are. Which kind of brings the question, you know, did he have anything to hide? No, for Daniel, his prayer life was personal, but it was not something to be hidden. Now, second, it says that he prayed three times a day. There, there's no formula in the Bible like you got to pray at this time or this time or that time. Other than I heard a preacher one time say, there's only two times a day you have to pray if you're a Christian. Daytime and nighttime. <laughs> In other words, 24-7, right? We should always have an attitude of prayer. But, but for Daniel, there was three times a day where he would stop what he was doing and he would orient himself to Jerusalem and the temple in those days and, and orient his life back to the Father. 
and, and, and just recommit himself. He knew Psalm 55, verse 17, which said, Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in my distress, and he hears my voice. I think Daniel was probably crying out pretty loud in this moment. So, again, there's not a formula here, but there is a pattern, and there is a habit, and there is a commitment that we see in Daniel. This was a regular practice for him, and there was a schedule to it. So it brings me to ask myself, and if you want to join me in this, if somebody were to camp outside my house and look in my windows every day, which is what they were doing, how many times, would, we'll just move on to the next thing. And then it says he got down on his knees. Now, I'm getting to the age where that's not that easy, and I can guarantee you it's not when you're 80-something, but that's what Daniel was doing, and what that shows is a humble heart. That he wasn't haughty, he wasn't out there in public, he wasn't, you know, just kind of doing something for people to see. It wasn't a show. This was, a, this was an expression of life dependence upon the Lord. And so he was fervent. He was sincere in his prayer life. He prayed in a humble manner. And then it says, he gave thanks to the Father. See how much is in this one verse? Now, don't lose sight of the fact that Daniel's under the threat of capital punishment in this moment. And yet he's giving thanks can I just say, if they were talking about taking me off to prison and doing bad things to me this afternoon, I, Thanksgiving probably would not be welling up naturally in my heart, right? But that was his heart. Why? I, you know, I'm, I'm reading into this, but I kind of think he knew there was going to be a moment he was going to get to give a real powerful witness for the Lord. And I think he was just giving thanks for this opportunity. He had seen God work in his life through, into the, the scheme of the Babylonians, and now he was getting to be used by the Lord in a whole new empire, in a whole new administration. He'd been down this road before. Can I just tell you, sometimes the, the thing you're going through, we just need to look over our shoulder and say, Lord, you brought me through that. I can give thanks here, even though this is tough. This is real. This is hard. This is a challenge. But you know what? You're faithful. And not only are you faithful by who you reveal yourself to be in your word, but you're faithful in my own biography. You're faithful in my own life. And he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And so I think Daniel had that kind of life where he could, in this kind of a crazy moment when he was, things seemed threatening and out of control, he's got a heart of thanksgiving. We'll see that Daniel often does the unexpected here in a moment. And then lastly, it says that he did this just as he had done before, like in the early days. This wasn't a, hey, I'm in a crisis, I better start praying. Anybody? It's okay to do that, by the way. There's, there's a lot of examples in the Bible of that. We're like, Lord, help. I need you now. That's good. But don't make Father have to reply, now who are you again? Um, do we know each other? Have it been a while, Rick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You see, I heard one commentator say this, that, that, Christian character is not forged in adversity. Christian character is revealed in adversity. You see, Daniel had won the private battle before he was going to win the public battle. So he had put in his homework. He had, he had built this into his life, and he was ready. And he was found faithful. 
Also, it's important to see here that Daniel, it was Daniel's prayer life that got him into trouble. And it will be Daniel's prayer life that gets him out of trouble. God's moves through his life because he has stayed so close to the Father. Daniel understood that the hardest battle you'll ever fight is the internal one. Now that's, you know, think about, there's some real tough external battles out there and people and situations, and, but we've got to bring it home first. We've got to win the personal battle that Jesus has for us. So, this third quality, though, we've, we've talked about integrity and we've talked about his prayer life. But I want to move to this third one. This is really where I've been wanting to get to, to share with you. He exhibited, in addition and because of his integrity and his prayer life, something I like to call confessional kindness. Confessional kindness. Now, I heard one commentator also call it convictional civility, if you like that term better. But, but here's the idea. There's two ideas that we're going to have to hold together simultaneously. And we're going to see how Daniel did it. If we're going to have an effective witness and an effective engagement with those around us who are far from God and need the Lord in their life. Look down in verse 21. We'll pick it up. It's where they've now caught Daniel in this, you know, praying and they've reported him to the king. They've had him arrested. They've thrown him down into the pit with the lions. And Darius really didn't want to. But he kind of had to because it was the law. And Darius obviously was more concerned about his poll numbers than he was his friend Daniel. Because he was the king. He could have stopped it, but he didn't. Had him thrown in. But it does say that Darius stayed up all night. He was concerned about Daniel. He, uh, He didn't sleep that night, it says. And so in the morning he comes and he calls down, Daniel, are you there? Has your God been able to rescue you from the lions? And then it picks up in verse 21. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. All right, here it is. So we see after this betrayal and arrest and conviction and execution, The first thing that Daniel says to the king is a compliment. Can I just tell you that if you throw me into a pit with a bunch of hungry lions, I may not come out complimenting you. Right? By the way, this is the first time Daniel speaks in the chapter. Everything to this point has been writing about Daniel. This is the first time we have actual lines that he's saying. And the first thing that he says, this octogenarian who's been following Jehovah for all these years, is compliment to a foreign king. O king, may you live forever. There's a winsomeness, there's a kindness, there's a warmness. Like, okay, I get it. You couldn't save me. You had to do your thing because of the whole law of the Medes and Persians thing. You had to do, you had to be Darius. You had to go all Darius on me. But guess what? My God saved me. See, he he didn't come out strutting. He didn't come out, that's right. You got anything else for me? 
He didn't do any of that. He came out pointing Darius to the king of kings and the one who would eventually judge all. And I think we have to be careful to do the same thing. There's this, there's this kindness, there's this civility that he has, but he doesn't shy away from pointing Darius to the truth about Daniel's status before the, the Lord. And I'm innocent before you can. You have wrongly done this to me. And so he doesn't shy away from telling the truth. I don't know, uh, you know, Galatians 5 had not been written yet, but Daniel obviously knew the fruit of the Spirit because he exhibited peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and certainly self-control. A lot better than I think I would have in that moment. So he's in, you know, he's in good spirits. He doesn't come out angry. He doesn't come out posting stuff on social media. Get mess, cancel Darius, you know. Uh, he doesn't do any of that. He comes out complimenting him. How does he do that? Well, all those years, as in the early days, when he would pray morning, noon, and night, it does something to your heart. The more it saturates, the more it marinates, the more it just kind of gets infused with the Spirit of God. In that moment of crisis, in that moment of challenge and pain and danger, what you have been cramming in will come out. The question is, what have you been putting in? And for Daniel, he was ready for this moment as much as one could be. And he, he demonstrated this convictional civility. And he, he, he kind of he doesn't come out and say these words, but his attitude is just one of forgiveness. You know, C.S. Lewis has a great quote on forgiveness, that forgiveness is a lovely notion until you actually have something to forgive. That person who laid in the bushes for you. That, that person who struck just at the right time to do the most damage. How are we in those? And on a, it's work. Forgiveness and, and keeping a warm, winsome spirit about you during difficult times is not easy. And it wasn't easy for Daniel. Years had gone into cultivating a heart that was ready for this kind of a moment. And here's what I want to say to us, just from an evangelistic standpoint. It's never, evangelism is never easy. Never has been, at least not in my lifetime. But I think in terms of culture that seems to be increasingly um, confused about what biblical faith is and what, what it really means to follow Jesus. I, I think if you are going to go around um, living a life by this book, and what it teaches, and who it introduces you to, um, we will be increasingly misunderstood and perhaps opposed in the culture that we now live. And I think it's going to be really important for us to hold kindness and confession of truth together and not, not lose either one of them. In fact, I found this video where somebody's got a really good hold of truth, but they kind of forgot the kindness part. And so I want to I show this video, but I want to tell you first, like, don't be like this guy, because if you don't, you'll be like a minute into it and go, why is he showing us this video? So, um, so anyhow, check this out. Oh, there's a spot. Lord, invited. 
bless you guys. Barista, what's going on? God bless you. Hey, how's it going, man? I want the normal, my usual. Yeah, actually, we have a couple girls in line already. If I could just get you moved to the back, and I'll help you as soon as I'm done with that. Sorry about that. Last week first, first will be last. Dude, do you go to church at all? Do you go to church at all? So do you go to church at all? Hey, is this seat open? Hey, is this seat available? Uh, dude, I just want to knock out some devos real quick. I spent some time with Jesus. I woke up kind of late this morning. Yeah, come on, let's go door. Let's go door. Let me sit down. I just want to share something from God's word. He hit me up in my devos this morning. I was like, I got to share this. Genesis 1, 1. Thirsty, huh? Getting some water? Yeah. Yeah, I know the living water. I was noticing that you're drawing some stuff over here. Back before when I wasn't a Christian, I, I was making so much money as a graphic designer. You been born again? You been born again? Born again, and you need to quit walking in the flesh. I mean, obviously, you don't really know God. Your tattoos, and you know, in your ear and stuff. If you don't start out the day by just bathing yourself in prayer, the day doesn't even go that well. You're not realizing that there is a God. He sent Jesus to die for you. Why don't you see that? And in chapter 28 of Deuteronomy, I just would go to these crazy parties. It was crazy. Well, I mean, just cash like crazy. But uh, but I've left all that behind. Now I'm a Christian. You can't live life without God. He's not real. He's here. I can't yes, see him. Yes, I'm just not getting through to you. God I can't is real. Touch him. Yeah, you can't touch Africa, but Africa exists. I just have to say, I'm blessed. Too blessed to be stressed by the devil's mess. What's holding you back from committing your life to Jesus Christ? It's probably the sin in your life is what's going on. (laughs) Scared? Hell is scary. Why don't you look at that girl? Look at her. She's going to die. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. She's going to die. If you're going to die, where do you think you would go? Man, that sounded hot. I wonder how hot hell is. Hopefully you don't go there. Oh, this is good. The New Testament is so just applicable. Have you guys noticed this? Hey, you got to be washed by the blood of the Lamb. I mean, so that you are justified, sanctified, future glorified. I mean, this is amazing. you got to come out. Do you drive a Volkswagen? Yeah, yeah, I do. But regardless, man, you got to come to church. Hey, remember what I said? Hell scary. Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. Certainly knew a lot of the truth, but man, a terrible rapper, right? A terrible way of engaging and developing uh, some, some connections there with people. All right, so be like Daniel. Got the confession of truth, but there's also a, a civility. There's a, there's a kindness about his heart that's not human kindness. It's not just, well, you know, try to try harder, but letting the Lord to shape and nurture and feed your heart over the long haul. Now, I want to get to the outcome of this real quick. And that is when he had the integrity, he had the prayer life down, and then there's this kind of confessional kindness that he has. The outcome of this was that Darius, and therefore the whole kingdom, was impacted by this message. This life that he was living, it was contagious. In fact, I would like to say it kind of resulted in contagious worship. And you may have heard it said that for some people in your life who are far from God, you're the only Bible that they have. See, Darius, Darius may not have had the Torah and read it regularly, but he did have Daniel. So real quick, let's look at verse 25 and, and, and wrap up there. It says, Then King Darius wrote to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? So this Daniel in verse 28 prospered in the reign of Darius and in the 
reign of Cyrus the Persian. The same king who had issued the edict said, you can't worship anybody but me, is now commanding everybody to worship the true God. What an outcome. What, 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 would it be said of us that people around us, because of our life, would find their way to God? In fact, here's the sermon in a sentence. If you're like, Rick, now you tell us. But here's the whole sermon in a sentence. I'll, I'll repeat it a couple times. Do others around me see my dependence on God and my confession of his goodness in such a way that it draws them closer to God? Do others around me see my dependence on God and my confession of his goodness in such a way that it draws them closer to God? What a great question for us to ask as we head back into school, teachers, administrators, students, as we go into the workplace, as we go into the community. So as I close, I just want to ask us all, just consider our own habits, our own rhythms. Where's integrity? Where's our prayer life? When, when people interact with us, do they, do they get the kindness? Do they get the truth? Do they get both of those things? You see, Daniel lived a good life, but he, he wasn't perfect. But there was one who was coming who would live a perfect life and whose life we can absolutely orient our life towards And he hung on a cross for you and for me to pay the penalty for our sins for all time. When we turn from ourself and our sin and turn to him and put our faith and our trust in Christ. I think like David in Psalm 51, this passage just should bring us to a point of saying, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me and restore to me the joy of God of your salvation so i don't know how you came in here today but things may have been going great or maybe you've kind of gotten off the road a little bit or maybe you're like rick i've never come under the banner in the name of jesus and i just need to to pattern my life just like daniel did and orient my life not just for today but tomorrow and for years and decades and as long as the lord would give me days on this earth until he returns to have the long stretch of my life angle towards him so i don't know how you came into here today but whatever the lord's asking you to do and he will meet you there let's pray jesus we give this time to you we ask that your holy spirit would speak to our hearts draw us close to you lord we want to live that faithful life like daniel um, but more so we want to pattern our life after your son and so lord we uh, just invite you into our hearts search out every corner and lord whatever you would want us to do i just pray that today would be a day of yes today would be a day of of response and saying yes lord Um, if you're here and you've never even united in membership with a church we pray that you would uh, just consider that and respond to that if you're here and you've never Uh, followed the call to just find out what it means to follow jesus follow him in believers baptism all of that just pray that whatever the lord's leading you to do today holy spirit we give this time to you and as uh, as you lead may we follow in jesus name amen